God good or what? Come on. I just want to talk about just for a second. I'm going to preach. I've got a message uh, in our, our new vision series, but there's a few things I just want to say. Uh, and the first thing is God has been so incredibly faithful to his church over the last two years. And we've done something we don't normally do. We, we've kind of lumped together 2020 and 2021 uh, in, in, the same, in the same box. The reason we've done that is because much of 2020, we were completely closed down. Uh, we weren't able to have anybody in the building because of COVID. Uh, and I wanna, I wanna share some things with you really fast and, and tell you for the first time, if you haven't heard it, and remind you. Um, you know, Right before COVID hit, uh, we were uh, running three services, completely packed out, completely filled up. We were not able to grow for over a year and a half uh, because we had too many people in the building and we could not run any more services. We literally watched on the cameras cars pull into the parking lot and then pull out again. And this was something that b- broke our hearts. And so we uh, got open up the door to buy land uh, at St. James and New 16. And, and we were right at, I mean, like days away from announcing the, the, the starting the process of building the building when COVID hit. And uh, when COVID showed up and we had to shut down for a while, you know, I want to be very clear. We didn't shut down uh, because the government told us to. We didn't shut down because we were afraid. We shut down because we didn't have the technology then that we do now. And I could not understand. I couldn't live with ourselves if we were not able to minister to all of our people. And the only way we knew to do that then at its worst was to go completely uh, on broadcast. And so we just, in faith, we felt like by the leading of the Holy Spirit, we closed the doors and we went into broadcast. And we had to work 50, 60 hours a week because we didn't have the technology to live stream. We had to do all of it during the week. And we were here till midnight some nights to make sure we put it out on TV. We put it out on like channels. We put it on the internet, Facebook, YouTube everywhere on Sundays, and the most craziest thing happens. This is something only God can do. When the church shut down, we were ministering to around 11 to 1,200 people uh, a week. Through COVID, our impact went up to about 2,500 people a week, and it has maintained that all the way through to now. That's something that's incredible. Listen, you will never hear me talk about numbers. In fact, if you've been coming here for years, that's probably the first time you've ever heard me mention some of those numbers. I don't think church is about the amount of people coming. I think it's about the amount of people worshiping. I think it's about the amount of people getting saved. I think it's about the amount of people living for the name of Jesus. I don't think that it's about the amount of people coming to the church. And so we don't highlight those numbers a lot. We don't talk about those numbers a lot. But the reason I think that is so powerful is because when we shut down, God expanded and we were able to go into house churches and home churches and people started. Some people were doing it very healthily, home churches, and then some people were just like waking up in their pajamas and chilling, uh, but which we love. Uh, but what that did was is that opened up the door for us when we did come back to start growing again because there were so many people at home. And so we've seen the, the church the, in the house, in the building to start growing again. And we've seen this twice uh, in the last seven, eight years at Pursuit Church where we have a massive growth spurt where God just begins to move and save people and, and, and we don't have any room. And the building process is about a year to a year and a half. And so I don't know if you're looking around, but we're already starting to grow again significantly every week. And I don't want us to ever be in that situation where we have to watch cars go out. So the reality of it is, is that we can start building the building this year. We can 
can start in April if we want to. There's nothing limiting us or holding us back from doing that. But I want us as a church over the next few weeks to start praying about this, fasting about this, and seeking the Lord on the timing because your boy wants to build yesterday, all right? But I want to make sure that as a church that we're being led by the Holy Spirit and that it's done in his timing, amen? Amen. That's what we want. And so there's going to be more information coming about that. But I just want to thank, thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your faithfulness. And I just want to thank God uh, for the way that he's moved uh, in the life of our church. Uh, and I want to share one more thing before I get into the message. Now, I know, listen, I know that I'm about to talk about something that you don't talk about in church anymore, like talking about bomb on an airplane. You don't talk about COVID in church. Uh, but I want, to, I want to tell you up front, I know that, that, that COVID's back. Right, it's become a big thing again, and everybody's freaking out. And I understand that this is a very real concern. I understand that this. I know there's still a few people that think it's a giant conspiracy. I'm not sure. I'm not picking sides. I'm just saying I know that it, that it's a it's it's real, and there's a lot of people panicking. But I want you to know my heart, and I want you to know the state of this church. The only reason we shut down in 2020 was because we could not minister to everybody the way we can now, but we have the technology now. And so we can have the building open and we can minister to people if they feel comfortable, they don't feel comfortable coming in, they can stay at home. We can minister to everyone. And I know that over the last week or two, we started to get a lot of messages uh, uh, and people asking about, because there's conversation, I guess, on the federal level of shutting down churches, that that's become a big conversation again. And I just want to stand before you and the camera and the recording and and the government and everybody else. I will absolutely never, ever shut down the gathering of the Church of Jesus Christ, ever. Ever. 2020 was a strategy decision to make sure that we could reach everyone that needed to be reached. We can now do that. And so if you feel comfortable, let's fill this building up. And if you feel comfortable staying home, then invite your neighbors over and, and, and celebrate there. But this is a house of Jesus Christ. The gathering is of the utmost importance. And it doesn't matter whether we gather in this building or we gather in homes. It doesn't matter as long as we are gathering. And that's what I'm called to do as a pastor and as the leader and the shepherd of this house. And so that's our stance. You don't have to send any more messages. We're never shutting down. Let the government try. I'm born for it, excited about it. So I love you guys with all my heart. There's, there's more stuff coming in the next few weeks, um, especially about the building. So just be, just be ready. And I, while we're talking about things that are amazing, in the last service, we had five people give their life to Christ for the first time. That's incredible. I just feel like worshiping Jesus. I just feel like celebrating. I'm going to pray or I'm just going to keep talking about amazing things God's doing. But we got to preach. Father God, I just come before you, Lord. I just want to thank you so much, God. It's just amazing, Father, that you, the creator of the universe, God, who's created a a universe and a world so great we don't even understand it, Father, let alone understand you, the one who created it, but in your magnitude and in your majesty and in your greatness, Father, you choose to be involved in our individual lives and to pay attention to the details of our lives, Father. And I just want to thank you for the way that you love us and for the way you care about us and for the way you provide for us, Father. And I pray, Lord, that this morning, Lord, that you would just prepare our hearts and our minds, God, to hear from your word. And I pray, Lord, that you will change us this morning, Holy Spirit, that you will speak to us, uh, take every single word that it pierce to the depth of our soul, uh, bring us closer to you, make us more like you in your name. Amen.
So we are uh, in a vision series. And what a vision series is, uh, in case you don't know if it's your first time here, a vision series is where we just take a second, uh, a series to just look into the great and amazing things God is doing and, and what he's doing, in the, what we believe he's doing in the future, where he's taking us. And we want to make sure that we as a church and as individuals and as families, that we are aligned around what God is doing and aligned around the values and what God thinks is important and making sure that our church is always in that place, submitted and humbled before the Lord, leading and following the Holy Spirit into the future. And so this morning, I want to talk about uh, something that is, is, well, it's worship. I'll just tell you, no surprises. I want to talk about worship. But Worship is, is not usually what we think it is. And, and I'm going to preach out of Luke 7 today on worship. And you've probably not heard worship preached out of this message before or a lot uh, in Luke 7. But I want to tell you something. Only in our kind of culture, only, only in the last generation or two, uh, have we taken the word worship and we've made it a genre of music, right? Like that, that's where the... And, and, in the history of the human race, in the history of, of human society and culture, we, you, the, the, the wiser ones, and, and, and the middle, I'm guessing middle age now, and the young ones, we're, our combination of generations, we're the first ones in human history to take worship and to make it a genre of music. Like if you're you know, riding down the road and you're listening to Spotify, uh, or if you are one of those wiser ones, you know, your iPod uh, from back in the day, but if you're listening, you've got, your, you've got like country music, right? I don't listen to country music because I like being happy and country music makes me sad and so I don't listen to it a lot. And just like my dog died and everything went wrong and now I'm in a bar in a truck and my girl's got jeans on, you know, whatever, whatever all, every country song ever written is about. Uh, but listen, you probably, I know a lot of you love country music and we all have our weaknesses, so it's fine. Um, but you got country music, you got, you know, hip hop, you got rap, you got rock, uh, you got your stuff. And then, and then if you're a Christian, especially, then you've got way down at the bottom. Most of the time you have your worship playlist, uh, genre, no guilt, just, just truth. And, uh, and, and we've made it a genre. We made worship music a genre and we, we've made, we've made worship synonymous with music. But worship is not music. Worship is not music. Now, you can, you can worship with music. And in fact, all throughout Scripture, uh, we see worship with music and with singing, with instruments. And, and worshiping the Lord with singing is something that, that God says he loves, that he enjoys it, he delights in it. There's almost a command to do it. We see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament. So worship and music uh, go hand in hand. You can worship absolutely powerfully through music, through songs, through instruments. If you ever read through the Old Testament in the temple of David, uh, that you think that, that we're loud at pursuit. Uh, they had thousands upon thousands of instruments and drums and what we would be like modern guitars and everything but the organ, just pointing that out to all the traditional people. The only thing that wasn't in David's temple was the organ. Everything else was there. Just throwing that out there because there's still some people that think you can't worship without an organ. I don't know where that comes from, but it wasn't there. Just saying. But worship is, 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 is amazing to do through music. But worship is not music. Worship is not music. Worship is something that is deeply ingrained in the, in the heart and in the, the soul of a person unto whatever it is that they are worshiping. And so I want to talk about worship because worship 
is the central piece of our relationship with the Lord. Worship is the central heart of our relationship with Jesus, and worship is the central part of not just this church, but every church of Jesus Christ. It, it Worship should be at the centerfold because that's what it's about. A lot of people think that the highest calling on the life of a believer is ministry to people. It's not. The highest calling on a believer is ministry unto God or worship worship unto God. Worship is what we were created for. And so I want to talk about this and I want us to look at this. Now, this is in Luke 7, starting with verse 36. And this is one of those where we got to read it and we kind of got to get in this moment. And I'm going to, I'm going to read the first uh, verse 36. Right here it says, now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So I want you to, I want you to step into this moment. So you have this Pharisee, and we find out in just a second that his name is Simon. And Simon seems to be a very well-respected Pharisee. And a Pharisee is a, a, a religious leader uh, who specializes in the law. They memorize, to be a Pharisee, uh, you would have memorized uh, the first five books of our Bible. You would have memorized the whole first five books of our Bible and then some. Uh, that they were very, very, very religious. That they, uh, they were very uh, active uh, in being active about being active for God. That was the, the course of their life was, was a following and doing and striving for what they called righteousness or doing right things and, and good things. And they were seen as religious leaders. They were seen as godly people uh, in this day and age and in this culture. They were seen as the highest high of, of, of followers of God. The problem was is that they were extremely far from God. And it's one of the reasons that they hated Jesus because when Jesus showed up on the scene, he began to teach and to lay out what actually being in a relationship with God was about. And so in this situation, Simon invites Jesus to his house. And Jesus being Jesus, because that's what Jesus does. When you begin to get interested in Jesus and you begin to call out to Jesus, Jesus will start to show up in your life. He'll start to show up at your house. And so this man either goes out and invites him, makes some public spectacle of it because the house seems to be filled with people and everybody knew that Jesus was coming. But he invited Jesus, and so Jesus came as a guest. But while Jesus was there and when he started to walk in uh, and everybody was there watching Jesus kind of come in, something super weird starts to happen. Uh, there's this, uh, something begins to catch their eye at the feet of Jesus. All of a sudden, there's this woman uh, uh, on her hands and knees crawling towards Jesus, uh, starting to weep and cry over his feet and kiss his feet and, and, and wiping his feet with her hair. And this is just, this is just a weird moment. This is just a weird, let's just be honest. 
Let's just be honest. If you had a, a group of people over and this started to happen, this is awkward. This is an awkward thing. And you know, you've been here. You've, you need to get in this moment. You've been here. You've, you've, had, you've been at a party or you've invited people over to your house. And you know, every, every friend group always has that one guy that just cannot help himself. He just does something weird and awkward and just makes the whole atmosphere just feel cringy. Everybody knows. Everybody's got one. If you're sitting there and you're like, my, my friend group don't got one, you're him. <laughs> now you know. But that, everybody knows the cringy feeling. Everybody knows this feeling. And, and this is what's kind of developing. This is what's kind of developing here in this moment. This, this woman is, is at his feet and he, she's crying and she's weeping and nobody knows why. And then she's, she's just white, getting her hair and wrapping around his feet and washing his feet off. She's kissing his feet. And then she takes out this very expensive, costly thing of perfume and starts to pour it out on his feet. And, 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 and this is the scene. And, and Jesus doesn't stop her at all. The Pharisee, though, Simon, he starts to think to himself. And it's in his inner thoughts that we see uh, Simon's view of God and Simon's view of a relationship with God and Simon's view of worship. Because in his thoughts, uh, the Bible says in Luke 8, 39, it says that when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, meaning if Jesus was who he said he was. If Jesus is, is a prophet, if Jesus is from God, if Jesus had anything to do with God, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner, that she's this great sinner. Simon's point of view of God is that God would never allow, if Jesus was of God, then God would know the sinner, know the wretchedness in this woman, know her, the life that she's lived, know the decisions that she's, she's made. It's very obvious uh, that in this day and age that everybody kind of had some sins, but they would label certain people uh, sinners. Like that is a sinner. Uh, and, and one, usually if you were a woman and they labeled you a sinner, it usually was their way of saying that, that, you, that you were a prostitute. And so you've got this prostitute sitting at his feet and, and, and Simon's point of view, and you cannot miss this, Simon's point of view, the Pharisee's point of view of God is that God would never allow a sinful woman, this woman who's done the things she's done and been where she's been and, and, and done what she's done to ever take part in him, to ever take part in worship. That means that Simon's view, and this is, you see this all throughout the, the gospels with the Pharisees, Simon's view, the Pharisees view, and the other religious leaders view of God was that there was a certain level of goodness or a certain level of righteousness that you had to attain to before you were allowed to worship. Almost like worship was something that was done only by the elite of righteousness. And so the way that they, they did this, and this is what, what Pharisees did, that's why they paid so close attention to the exterior things. Jesus said of the Pharisees, you have a very clean cup on the outside. You do all the right things and you say all the right things, but you're filthy and dirty on the inside. That, you, you, that, that they're, they're living this exterior life, but inside they don't know anything about God. They don't know God at all, and they don't know what real worship is, and they don't have a real relationship with God. 
And so as he's starting to think these things and, and isolate these things, and really the truth is he's casting some judgment on the woman, but in reality, he's casting judgment on the son of the living God himself. And he's saying, if Jesus was who he said he was, if Jesus was this Messiah, if Jesus was a prophet, if Jesus had anything to do with the God that I know, he would never let this sinful woman touch him or kiss his feet or cry on his feet or worship him. Jesus would never let that happen if he was from God. And then Jesus, being Jesus, now he didn't say this stuff, Simon just thought this, but Jesus being Jesus uh, knows his heart and knows his mind and knows what he thinks. And so he, he, he says, Jesus answered him and says, Simon, I have something to tell you. I have something to tell you. Now this is, and I know this may be a little heretical and I don't want to get any emails, but this is Jesus beginning almost a middle finger conversation to Simon. Because what Simon has done, and this is so important, what Simon has done in his mind and in his heart in the way that Simon teaches others about God and the way that Simon talks to others about God, he is painting the picture that God does not love the sinner. And that God does not want anything to do with the sinner. That God is looking for the righteous. That God is looking for the good ones. That God is looking for the ones who can follow the rules and who can do the stuff. That God is not here for the sinner. That God, when the Messiah comes, when, the, when Jesus comes, when, when the Savior comes, when this man comes who, who the Old Testament prophesied would come and save us, when he comes, he's coming for the good. He's coming for the righteous. He's not coming for the sinners. And in reality, if we know anything about the gospel and we know anything about Jesus Christ, Jesus came only for the sinners. And so Jesus makes sure that this thought does not go unaddressed. And so he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. He says, tell me, teacher, two men, this is Jesus, two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50 Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled or forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled or forgiven. He says, you have judged correctly, Jesus said. And so he says, Simon, I want to I tell you a parable. I want to tell you a story, and I'm going to ask you a question. He said, I really want you to think about this, Simon. If there's two men, one owes 500 denarii or dollars. One owes $50. And the lender that they borrowed this money from was a merciful lender. And when that merciful lender realized that the one that owed 500 could not pay him back, did not have the means to pay the debt, and the one that owed 50 did not have the means to pay the debt, he forgave both of them, forgave both, canceled the debts of both the one that owed 500 and both uh, the ones that owed 50. And Jesus said, so which one do you think would love that lender more, would love uh, the, the, the banker more, would be more thankful and have more gratitude and would love him more? And then Simon quickly understands the point Jesus is making up front, the basic point. And he says, you know, obviously the one with 500. And then Jesus, from this moment, he, he jumps into something. He jumps right into this moment. He jumps right into the heart of Simon and to the heart of this woman. 
and he dissects what true worship is and where true worship comes from and separates it completely from the Pharisees' view of a relationship with God and God and a worship of God. And so he, he makes this statement. He says, uh, he turned down, he, he looks at the woman and he says to Simon, do you see this woman? This is verse 44. He said, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. So Jesus, he, he's breaking down this moment, and we have to step in, and we have to understand this. First, he says, he says Simon, to be clear. Now, this, is, this sentence is more important than you'll give it credit. It says, I came into your house. That's what Jesus said. I came into your house. I came into your house, Simon, because you invited me into your house. You invited me into your life, Simon, and I came. You, you sent a boy to ask me if I could come to your house and to dine with you and to recline with you and to talk with you and, and, and to be a part of this evening. And, and, and Simon, I came. I came into your house. But when I came into your house, you didn't give me any water for my feet. Now, I know that this is, this is not something that we do in today's society. I know this is not normal. But in this day and age, this was incredibly normal. Because of the nature of their towns and cities, they walked on dirt and sand and dust and mud, and they wore sandals, and so their feet were constantly dirty. And it was very common. Even servants, even the lowest on the social class totem pole, received water when they walked into the house. Uh, it was just natural courtesy so that they could wash their feet or have their feet washed uh, so that, uh, that they could have clean feet and they could sit and they could dine, you know, clean... Uh, uh, and cleanliness and, and relax and, and take part of the evening. This was something incredibly common. This was just everybody got this treatment. And, and Jesus says, now you invited me to your house. And when I, I heard you interested in me and I heard you kind of calling out to me and I showed up, but when I showed up, you didn't even give me water. You didn't even acknowledge my existence. You, you, you didn't even give me the basics. Everybody else got water, but you didn't give me any water. But this woman, though, this woman, this woman, she has been crying and weeping on my feet, tears enough on my feet to wash my feet with her hair and to dry my feet off. And he says, and Simon, you invited me into your house. You invited me to be a part of this. And I came and I showed up into your life. And you didn't even kiss me. You didn't even greet me with a kiss. Now, this is super unnormal, right? If, if I ever invite you over to my house, I'm not gonna give you a kiss when you walk through the door. And if I ever come to your house and you kiss me when I walk through the door, that'll probably be the last time we hang out. I just wanna throw that out there. But in this day and age, this was incredibly normal. This was a welcoming. This was a, this was a, I'm glad you're here. This is like, like when we see each other at church and we just walk up and we just hug each other and, and we just, you know, the man shake and the, and the hug and just the embrace and the arm grab and the, every, you know, like this is just the, I'm thankful you're here. I'm glad you're here. It, it, it pleases my heart that you walked in the room. I invited you and you came in and I am thankful. I'm thankful that you're here. 
And he says, Simon, you, you, didn't, you didn't give me any water and you didn't greet me. You didn't acknowledge me. You didn't show any sign at all that you were glad that I was in your life, that you were glad that I was there. But this woman, since I've walked through the door, she has not stopped kissing my feet. And he says, Simon, I walked in. You didn't, you didn't pour any oil on my head. You didn't anoint my head with oil. Now, this is less common. This was something that was only done uh, to those, to the guest of honor. This was something, this was a sign of honor to someone. This was like if you were to throw a party uh, in, in honor of somebody, uh, you know, a birthday party or a, uh, or a celebration or a retirement party. And the, the, whoever the person of honor was, when, it, when they get there, when they walk in, you stop and you applaud and you, you acknowledge that th we're here tonight for them. We're, th that, that, that's what the anointing of oil was. When, when people came in, you would acknowledge those guests of honor, those that were up at the top in your heart and in your mind. And so Jesus is saying, now, now Simon, you, you, the religious leader, the Pharisee, the one who's memorized tons of books of the Bible, because when you, 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 you invited me into your home and you didn't give me any water when I showed up and you didn't greet me with a kiss and you did not anoint me with oil, you did not hold me in any kind of high regard in your life. Everybody in this room knows by your actions and by, by what you've done and how you've treated me in this moment that you don't have any real high regard for me. See, but this woman that you're condemning in your heart, this woman, she brought a very costly, expensive alabaster jar of perfume. And after she washed my feet and, and, and wiped it with her hair and she's been kissing my feet, she had poured all of that oil just on my feet. And Jesus said, I want you to understand, Simon. I want you to understand that this woman loves me. And this woman loves me. And this woman, her love for me is overflowing in these acts of worship. Because she knows two things, Simon, that you don't know. The first thing she knows, Simon, is she knows that she is a great sinner. She knows the sin in her life. She knows what it cost to forgive the sins in her life. Simon, you still think that you've got some struggles and you've got some weaknesses, but you have never come to realize that you were a sinner and are a sinner and in need of a savior. She knew that she was a sinner and that she had many great sins and that she was in need of a savior. And Simon, the way you've lived your life and the way you perceive God and my father, the way you perceive this is that, that you are good enough that you can in your strength and kind of in your power, you can do enough of the right things and you can, you can do this. And you're, you're spending so much time and energy trying to follow all these laws and, and trying to live up to the hearts and the minds. And the Pharisees, they were great at it. They were great at it. They would go at 9, 12, and 3 to the temple every day, and they would pray loud. And they would thank God for how righteous they were. They would thank God about, I'm, I'm so thankful that I'm not like one of these wretched sinners. Literally, Jesus calls one of these Pharisees out for praying this exact prayer. I just want to thank you, God, that I am not like these sinners. That I've gotten to a place in my life where I, I can just walk in righteousness and I can just wear the robes. They literally wore these robes and these tassels and the more tassels you had, the holy you were according to their weird religious thing. 
And they would, they would give, and they would make this such a showing of their giving. And they, they, would, they, would, they would talk about it, and they would thank God for giving. And they would make everybody know, and they would make this huge thing about giving to the poor, giving to this, or giving to that. And Jesus points out one, one man in the back just beating his breast, doesn't even feel good enough to walk in the room. And he's crying out to be saved, have his sins forgiven. And Christ says, his sins will be forgiven today. And this other Pharisee that's just making this big showing and giving, he points out the widow that's coming up with one little mite like a penny and says, that woman just gave everything she had. That woman just gave substantially more than this one that's laying down hundreds and thousands. And, and he says, Simon, she knows something that you don't know. She knows that she's a, a sinner in need of a savior. And she knows that there's nothing she can do to earn her salvation. She knows that. And Simon, the thing that she knows the most that you don't know, Simon, you think that salvation is something that you take part in. You think that salvation is, is a series of events that you do in your life and a series of things that you say and a series of ways that you act, that it's a part of some type of system and that when you, to be saved and, and, and to, to be a part of God and, and to have your sins forgiven, there's a series of things that you do and you play your part and you go into it and it's almost like a partnership with God that it's some type of system, that Christianity is some type of system. But Simon... I want you to know that this woman knows the truth. This woman knows that salvation is not a system. Salvation is not a set of rules. Salvation is not anything. Salvation is a person. Salvation is Jesus, and Jesus is salvation. Jesus, the person of Jesus, is this woman's salvation. That's why she's there worshiping. He says, this, this is, she knows her great and many sins. She knows the things that she's done in this life. She knew that she was in need of a savior and she knows that salvation, true salvation is done only by the work of Jesus Christ. That salvation is something that Jesus gives us when we put our faith in him. That salvation, the forgiveness of sins comes because Jesus Christ alone came to this earth. Jesus Christ alone came with the gospel, the good news of the Father, and Jesus died on a cross for our sins. He paid that debt that we could not pay, that that's what salvation is, that we owe a debt that we can't pay. And he paid that debt for us on the cross so that we could be forgiven for our sins, that in his burial and in his resurrection, that we have this, this powerful debt uh, canceled, this forgiveness of our sins takes place because of the work of Jesus, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, because of the faithfulness of Jesus, because of the love of Jesus, because of the goodness of Jesus, because of the righteousness of Jesus, and the list goes on and on and on and on, but everything that you could ever say about salvation, if it doesn't end with Jesus, it is not salvation. Jesus, the person. That's, that's the thing that Simon could not understand. That's the thing that there's so many people, maybe even in this very room and all across this country that go to church all their life, they never come to fully understand that salvation is nothing but Jesus. That Jesus is our salvation. That the worship 
is not just a song or a music or something you take part on, but, but when you know these two things, when you know that you have been truly forgiven for your sins and you know that you have hope in this life and you know that you have hope for eternity and you know that you are in the love of God and that no demon in hell could snatch you out of it and you know that you are secure in Jesus, there is a type of love that shows up in your life that overflows in acts of worship. That the reason why Simon could not worship was because he did not love Jesus because he did not understand that his salvation was in Jesus alone. And he did not understand that he was in fact a great sinner. And there's, there's two things that happen in the modern church. One is that there are people who sit on the pews of church every single week for years and years and years and they participate and they put money in the offering plate and they do the charity and they sing the songs but they never come to know Jesus. And so they never really worship him. They feel like the actions, they're a good person, they're good people, and they're doing their thing, and they're, they're participating in the system, and they're participating in Christianity, and, and at the end, they'll be rewarded for the good things that they did. That is not Christianity. That is not the gospel. That is not the Bible. The reality of it is, is that we are all great sinners. The truth is we are all great sinners in need of a Savior. The second thing is people truly put their faith in Jesus and they receive salvation. But then they live their life like Simon was living. You really did put your faith in Jesus and you are saved and you have eternal life and you're going to go to heaven. But that you invited Jesus in, but you're not living your life like he matters. You're not worshiping him like he matters. You're not acknowledging him. You're not living for him. You're not serving him. You're not falling deeper and deeper in love with him. That you invited him into your life, invited him into your heart, invited him into your family, invited him into your marriage. You invited him in and then he came and he saved you and he showed up in your life. But now you are living your life like he's not even there. When you fall in love with Jesus and you, you remember, we, we forget, we forget how good Jesus really is and we forget that our salvation is in Jesus. We forget that our sins have been forgiven and we get so caught up in the world that we stop somewhere along the lines, we stop living for Jesus. And so the, the decision in our hearts this morning is, who are we living our life like? Are we living our life like Simon? Or are we waking up every single morning, falling deeper in love with Jesus every day, at his feet, worshiping, weeping, living our life for him, living our, 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 our marriages, our, our relationships, our careers, that we see everything as an avenue to worship Jesus, that we're in love with Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about hope. We need hope and we have it in Jesus Christ forever and ever, amen. 
But this week, I want you to know what has to define the church of Jesus Christ is worship and true worship is based in us falling deeper in love with Jesus every day. And so I want to challenge you this morning. If you're saved, I want to challenge you this morning. If you know the Lord is your Savior, I want to challenge you this morning. Check your heart. Are you falling deeper in love with Jesus? And if not, all you've got to do is start worshiping him. Start living your life for him. Jesus is our salvation. We have the forgiveness of sins because of Christ. And I want to do something the Lord laid heavy on my heart this morning. I want to obey him in this. Everybody can go ahead and stand. Everybody at home, please keep paying attention. I'm going to tell you something. I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt. I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that this life is going to come and go so quick. I believe that there are so many people who know in the back of their minds, they know in their heart of hearts, there is something greater out there than what this world offers. And there's people that have been a part of Christianity and a part of the church, but have never truly put their faith in Jesus. And I'm going to give you the opportunity right here and right now today to put your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you that opportunity. I want to open up these altars. I want to open up this moment. I don't mind if nobody shows up. I don't care if the whole church comes down and gets saved. I cannot walk away from this message and not offer life to you this morning. I want the lights brought down. And I'm going to ask you to do something. If there is even one this morning, if there is even one, and I don't get embarrassed, I don't care if nobody comes, but if there is even one this morning, and you know in your heart and in your mind right now, you feel the Holy Spirit bringing conviction into your life. You, you feel the presence of God moving your heart. I'm telling you, that is the Lord. That is the Lord. And I want to pray with you this morning. And so I'm going to ask right now, if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, if you want to put your faith in Jesus, whether this is your first time in church ever or you've been coming to church for 25 years, but you know right here and right now you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ and you want salvation, let today be your day of salvation. And so I want to open up the floor for just a few minutes. If you're at home, if you're at home, you can walk through this. If you're at home, just put in the comments, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to open up the altars. If there's anybody, this woman crawled on her hands and feet to Jesus. All I'm asking you to do is walk down to the front. I want to pray with you this morning. I want to pray with you this morning. If there's anybody, if there's anybody in this room, if you feel the Lord, if you feel the Lord, do not miss this moment. And if you're at home, you are not alone. The Lord is with you. We have one. Is there another one? Don't miss this moment. I don't want to pressure anybody, but I, if you feel the Lord, come in this moment. I'm gonna pray with you, brother. I'm gonna pray with you. Is there any more? There's more coming. Don't miss this moment. Salvation is yours in the name of Jesus today. I'm gonna to pray. Guys, as I pray for you, all you have to do is acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior.
put your faith in him and he will save you right now. Everything that needed to be done was done on the cross 2,000 years ago. Your sins are already forgiven. You put your faith in him, it is done. The last thing Jesus says to that woman is your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you and go in peace. And I believe right here in this moment, right here in this moment, you will receive salvation. I'm gonna pray for you and you put your faith in Jesus. Just acknowledge him as your Lord, begin to pray to him and he will save you right here and right now. Father God, I just come before you, Lord. Father God, I just come before you, Lord. I thank you so much, God. Father, these are your sons and your daughters. Father God, you created them, Father. You created them to worship you. You created them, Father God, knowing all of us, knowing the sins that we would commit, knowing the hearts that we would have, Father. But you made a way, God. The Bible calls Jesus the Lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. Lord, before you created us, you knew that we would need salvation. You created us anyway, and you made a way through Jesus Christ. Now pray, Father, right now for each and every soul. God, standing at your altar this morning, each and every soul at home and online this morning, God. I pray, Lord, as they put their faith in you, God, as they acknowledge you, God, not just as God, but they acknowledge you as their Lord and Savior, as they acknowledge you, God, knowing that you are salvation, Jesus, that not a religious system, Father God, not any act, Father, any to-do list, God, that you are salvation. As they acknowledge that and they put their faith in you, I pray, Lord, let them celebrate in their salvation. Let them know right here and right now, God, that their sins have been forgiven forever and ever. Father God, that their faith in this moment has saved them, Father, and they can leave this place in peace, knowing that every ounce of them, their heart, their mind has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you so much for our salvation. I thank you so much for making your home with us, God. I pray, Lord, that you will fill them with your spirit, Lord. Let them feel your goodness in this moment. In your holy, holy name, amen.